Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition Diva podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel. And over the course of my decades in the nutrition field, I've seen a lot of dietary villains come and go and come again. I'm thinking about fat, carbs, meat, sugar, but the villain of the moment is definitely ultra-processed foods, and by proxy, the food manufacturers who produce them. I've argued in the past that processed is really too broad a brush to apply. We really need to take into consideration what the purpose of the processing is before we demonize a food as being too processed. And we also need to think about how a given processed food functions in our diet before we decide whether or not it can be allowed to stay. Now, part of the problem with this whole discussion is that there isn't a single definition or set of criteria for what constitutes processed food. For better or worse, the NOVA classification seems to be emerging as the most widely used system, especially in nutrition research. Now, I have talked in previous episodes about some of the limitations of the NOVA classification. For one thing, It's difficult even for nutrition professionals to decide accurately what category a given food falls into. And secondly, a lot of foods that I certainly think of as healthful are considered ultra-processed in the NOVA classification system. And all of this is very relevant at the moment because the dietary guidelines for Americans are due to be updated again. And one of the questions that the Scientific Advisory Committee is going to be tackling this time around is the relationship between ultra-processed foods and health. And they seem specifically interested in things like whether or not they contribute to rates of overweight and obesity, as opposed to other sorts of health outcomes. Joining me to talk about all of this is Dr. Julie Hess. Dr. Hess is a research nutritionist with the USDA's Human Nutrition Research Center in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and her research focuses on how to improve both U.S. dietary guidance and the eating patterns of Americans. And Julie recently published the results of a study that upends some of the widely held assumptions about processed foods. It was a proof-of-concept study in which they wanted to see whether they could come up with a seven-day meal plan composed almost entirely of ultra-processed foods, as defined by NOVA, that would still meet the criteria for a healthy diet pattern as defined by its Healthy Eating Index score. And they actually overshot their goal. They were shooting for a 2,000-calorie diet that got at least 80% of the calories from ultra-processed foods but still aligned with the recommended guidelines for protein, carbohydrates, fats, and most of the micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals. Now, they anticipated that their ultra-processed diet would probably exceed the recommendations for sodium and sugar. And for that reason, they thought it would probably get a healthy index score of 80 or less. But for reference, the healthy eating index score for the typical American hovers right around 58. Well, they ended up with a seven-day meal plan that got 91% of its calories from Nova Class 4 foods, ultra-processed foods, and it still met the dietary guidelines for protein, fats, carbohydrates, fiber, calcium, potassium, saturated fats, even added sugars. 
The only nutrients that were below the dietary reference intakes were vitamins D, E, and choline. And even there, they were at about 75% of the recommended amounts. And when they did calculate that healthy eating index score, they actually scored an 86 out of a possible 100. So obviously, I wanted to get Dr. Hess on the podcast to ask her more about this provocative study. Welcome to the Nutrition Diva podcast, Julie. Thanks so much for taking a little time out of your day to talk about this study with us. Of course. Thank you for the introduction. Why was this particular study important to do? I guess I'm curious about whether it was more about assessing the health impacts of ultra-processed foods or more about assessing the validity of the NOVA classification as a way to categorize foods, or maybe neither one of those. What were you trying to get at? So ultra-processed foods as a topic for research first appeared on my radar because ultra-processed foods was listed as a topic for the 2025 Dietary Guidelines for American Scientific Advisory Committee to investigate as part of the research to build that new iteration of federal dietary guidelines. We have the 2020 Dietary Guidelines. That's what's in place right now. And then, of course, we're ramping up and getting ready for the 2025 Dietary Guidelines to come out. And that work is underway right now. So since so much of my work focuses on building the evidence base for dietary guidelines and trying to contribute to it, I felt it was important for me and for my lab to understand this topic of ultra-processed foods and how it fits or doesn't fit into dietary guidelines. And once I started looking into NOVA, reading about ultra-processed foods, it was clear to me that there's still a lot of work needed to understand this issue. And one of the challenges is figuring out how to understand nutrient density in the context of the NOVA classification system, which, as I'm sure you know, currently includes both nutrient-dense and nutrient-poor options in that Category 4 of NOVA, which captures ultra-processed foods. Right, but the nutrient density or how many nutrients a food provides per calorie or per gram, that's not a dimension that NOVA's looking at, right? Correct. So is that an obvious way that that system, the NOVA system, could possibly be modified to make it more valid or more useful, or is that not practical? That's a great question. I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the answer is here, but I do think it's an opportunity for food science and nutrition science to work together and learn from each other to figure out what do we mean as a scientific community when we talk about processing a food and how does that affect nutrition? I don't think we know that yet. There's a lot of considerations that I think are needed for this ultra-processed foods discussion and research. Right. And, you know, I don't hear anybody from NOVA um, eager to revise their criteria anytime soon, but stranger things have happened, right? Where a a criteria or a set of metrics are proposed as a way to um, assess something. And then upon further research, the, the criteria are modified. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that we could indeed at some point end up with a new and improved version of the NOVA classification that would address some of these issues? I think so. There have been some changes to the NOVA classification system over the years. So it was first actually introduced in 2009, but it's only in the past few years that we've really seen it pop up in use in nutrition research. It's kind of, it's exploded in a big way. It's now, um, I think, hundreds, if not thousands of papers that use the term ultra-processed foods or specifically use the NOVA categorization system But now that that method of looking at classifying foods by processing level is out there, 
for the scientific community to use. It could be something that another team decides to run with or partner with the Nova folks mm-hmm. and make um, make changes to it from there. I'm not sure what the future will hold for this um, topic of degree of processing in regards to nutrition. Yeah. Well, do you think that we should continue to pursue this? Is the degree of processing an important feature of foods or is this a little bit of a red herring? Are there just better ways for us to be assessing and talking about foods than simply their degree of processing? What's your what's your gut instinct there? It's so, like with a lot of things in nutrition science, it's such a young field and there's so much we don't know yet. So it's really hard to give a firm answer to that question. Sure. So the best the best thing I can say is the scientific community is still trying to figure that out because we still don't know among food scientists and nutrition science what exactly processing means. So fresh produce at the grocery store, for instance, isn't covered in dirt the way it would be if you pulled it out of your backyard garden. It has because been, it's been processed. processed. Yes. Exactly. So the food classification systems are figuring out where those lines are. And I think yeah. we're still in the process of figuring out where the lines are and what that means for nutrition. And if they're germane to nutrition, where those lines are and what that means. Right. And when we get categories um, such as the Nova classification where the category for the ultra processed food, which is now like the new dietary demon, right? UPFs. But when we can look inside that category and see foods that like any reasonable nutrition professional would say like, no, that absolutely has a place in a healthy diet. Something like yogurt for breakfast that has fruit in it. It does suggest that maybe we haven't quite nailed this down yet the way we need to, if we're going to start making policy decisions based on it. I think there's certainly more work to be done. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's it's hard to talk about your study without at least your most recent study, without at least mentioning Kevin Hall's study, the most notorious one of his recent work. And the one I'm thinking of is the one where he compared the effects of two diets, one of which was composed of minimally processed foods. And one was composed primarily of ultra-processed foods. And both of the study diets were actually matched up so that they had the same overall energy density, the same macronutrients, the same amount of sugar, sodium, fiber. And what they found was that when eating a diet that's mostly ultra-processed, the subjects consumed more calories and, not surprisingly, as a result, they gained weight over the course of this very short study. So I know you were well aware of that study. Was there something about that study design that occurred to you as a gap or or a further question that needed to be asked and answered? Like almost any scientific study out there, Dr. Hall's study has limitations and can't answer all the questions that we have on ultra-processed foods. And to Mm -hmm. my knowledge, it was the first intervention study comparing a relatively unprocessed diet to a relatively processed diet. But some of the limitations that came up in his paper that I've thought about are, it raised a lot of interesting questions for future research to look into. And I think that's the the real beauty and um, one of the values of his study is what does, say, an ultra-processed food diet look like in a free-living population? Because the people in his study, of course, were living um, at the research center during the course of the study. Mm-hmm. What does a nutrient-dense, this is something my paper addresses, what does a nutrient-dense ultra-processed food diet look like? So he did match for macronutrients, and as you mentioned, um, for sodium and fiber too, but he didn't match for micronutrients. So can an ultra-processed food diet and a relatively unprocessed food diet have similar amounts of micronutrients, and does that impact how much people choose to eat from those two diets if they're matched for minerals and vitamins? 
Exactly. And I just want to highlight something that you allude to here, and that is the fact that this study, which was very ambitious and added a lot of good data to what we know, the fact that it didn't answer every possible question is not a weakness. It Mm -hmm. just shows us where we want to look next. So no shade on Kevin for his study. But the other thing that jumps out at me when you use the phrase a healthy ultra-processed diet, what that might look like, some people would think that right there is an oxymoron. There can be no such thing as a healthy ultra-processed diet. And yet your study suggests that maybe there could be such a thing. (laughs) Well, we do use the eating patterns from the Dietary Guidelines for Americans as the guide for what we created in our study. So the Dietary Guidelines for Americans refer to the three eating patterns that they have as the healthy U.S. style dietary pattern, the healthy Mediterranean style dietary pattern, and the healthy vegetarian dietary pattern. So what we did is we took that healthy U.S. style dietary pattern and we um, used a 2005 My Pyramid menu template from the USDA website. And we said, okay, can we replace the items in this menu template with ultra processed versions per the Nova scale? So that's why we use the word healthy is that it's just coming directly from sure. that DGA dietary Fair enough. And as I mentioned in my introduction, you actually overshot your goals. You were able to come up with a diet that 90% of the calories came from Nova class four foods. And you got even closer to the healthy eating index than you thought you would. So apparently, at least as defined by the dietary guidelines, there is such a thing as a healthy and nutritionally adequate ultra processed food diet. And just if I can editorialize for a minute, I think that this is important to to demonstrate because a lot of people, regardless of what their nutritional or other ambitions may be, they may not have the resources, whether that's grocery dollars or time that they can spend preparing foods to eat a minimally processed diet. And I think it's really important to say they're not going to be left out of the opportunity to have a healthy diet just because they choose to, or maybe feel that they need to rely largely on processed foods. So I realize that's a little bit outside the scope of your research and certainly at this last study, but I just wondered, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm so glad you asked this question. Uh, This is actually another way, of course, that Dr. Hall's research study inspires all these uh, additional research questions. So my lab is looking into that right now. We're looking into how we can compare the costs and the preparation time differences between a mostly ultra processed and a less processed dietary pattern. Because as I was talking about the study that we did, I realized that most of the time when I presented this work, I would get this question over and over again. Well, what about the cost and what about the preparation time? Because that's very practical considerations when you're talking about how to build a healthy dietary pattern. But there weren't very many answers from the scientific community. And and I don't know yet, anyways, of other folks pursuing this work. So Stay tuned because we may have some information on that soon <laughs> out there in the scientific literature. Oh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Um, and I know you and I, when we talked about this study before it was published earlier this year, there was also that unanswered question about how um, full people would feel the satiety measures of the healthy ultra processed food diet as compared to a minimally processed diet, or for that matter, an unhealthy processed food diet. So that may be even further down the road to be investigated. Yes, I would say stay tuned (laughs) on that one too. So in your study, there's some supplemental materials that you provide. And one of them includes a pretty long list of Nova class four foods, ultra processed foods that apparently fit quite comfortably 
into a healthy diet pattern. So what can or what what should we do with that list? I, I'm thinking at the very least, maybe those foods should get an asterisk in the NOVA classification lists. That's an interesting question. Um, so I, when I was thinking about this, of course, we had talked about before how the NOVA system, as it's currently written, doesn't take into consideration nutrient content. And our study indicates that it's an area that deserves some consideration by the scientific community which I think is really what this list showcases is that that's how are we going to consider nutrient density, which dietary guidance in the U.S. is always focused on alongside processed food. If we want to talk about those two things at the same time, how are we going to merge those together? Exactly. Yeah, tricky. But I think if nothing else, your study has demonstrated, we we have to at least attempt that. Otherwise, we're getting a very distorted picture. And when these dietary guidelines, whether they are the official DGA or just the kind of dietary advice that gets promulgated through the media, they always get boiled down and simplified. And the the current simplification of this is that anything that's processed is bad for you. And, and I think that that is not true and not helpful. Yes. I would say that's not in line with what are the evidence is showing right now. So you already mentioned one way in which you're going to be extending this research in the future, analyzing the cost at the grocery store and the time in the kitchen of these diets with different levels of processed food. Are there any other uh, questions that are sort of on your list to answer or to have answered by other researchers in regards to ultra-processed foods? I'd really love to see more intervention research on the topic. So perhaps feeding studies um, with people, clinical research studies, since so many of the studies right now out there on ultra processed foods are observational. So they're using existing study data. Mm. Um, and there's a number of challenges that come with observational studies, but one of them that is challenging in particular with, uh, with, with specific regard to the NOVA system is that it requires making several assumptions about what foods people report eating and what categories of NOVA that those foods fit into. Well, and as you noted in your study, even nutrition professionals sometimes have a hard time deciding what category food should go into. And that's that's another real problem, whether we're trying to collect data <laughs> or or harvest data from existing data sets. Now, of course, feeding studies are going to be a lot more expensive, uh, which is one limitation. But you also mentioned another aspect of that, which is, okay, we can we can eliminate variables with a feeding study where we decide, we provide everything that you eat so we know for sure what it was. But then we're back to that question that you mentioned earlier of, yeah, but how does that then translate into the real world where we all live and how do we apply those findings? So I guess we're always kind of walking those lines in nutrition research, just given the nature of the beast. I was about to comment almost exactly the same thing, that that's the crux of nutrition researchers. You want to know what people are actually eating in their real lives, but then when you study it, you're almost automatically changing what that looks like. Right. Well, we will let you continue fighting the good fight there in uh, Grand Forks and continuing to ask and answer really interesting questions. And again, I want to thank you so much for taking a little time to talk to me and to Nutrition Diva listeners about this fascinating work that you are doing. Thanks again, Julie. Thank you. If you have comments or questions about today's show, please send them to nutrition at quickanddirtytips.com or you can leave me a voicemail at 443-961-6206 and I'd be happy to answer those in future episodes. I also wanted to mention a special program that I'm offering. This is brand new. 
in collaboration with registered dietitian and self-compassion expert, Cassie Christopher. It focuses on body image repair and resilience. We are so excited about this collaboration and this work. And if you'd like to hear more about what led us to this topic, you can check out our conversation on the Change Academy podcast. You'll find that wherever you listen. And there's also more information about the program itself at wayless.life/body. It will be unfolding throughout the month of October, so please do check that out. Nutrition Diva is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's supported by a wonderful team, including our director of podcasts, Adam Cecil, my audio engineer, Nathan Sems, Davina Tomlin, who runs our marketing and publicity, Holly Hutchings, our digital operations specialist, and Morgan Christensen, our podcast operations and advertising specialist. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.